Welcome to Pure's Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we're on episode 165, a different episode. A different episode. No, it's a... There we go. So we haven't done this in a while. You know, the last time we did this kind of episode was episode 34. That's a long time ago. ago? It was. Things flew by. So we have decided to do a question and answer one. And this is something that we went on social media and and we let everybody know, hey, if you have any questions that you wanted to get answered on air, you could always give us a call or you could hit us in the DMs or use that question box in our Instagram story. So we had some questions that were sent to us. We're going to have some voicemails that we're going to play. So those are always fun. And uh, some of these, by the way, you know, if, if you're new, They'll be really helpful. If you've been recently for a while, you're like, ah, I kind of know that. And and if there's anything we ever give that is wrong, there's always the comment section below to correct us. So we always appreciate that. Yeah. And we just want to say right off the bat, um, for whatever reason, we were having a little bit of issues with our, our uh, Google voice number. Uh, we weren't getting notifications every time we yeah. were getting messages and we so weren't bad. going in manually and checking unless we got a notification. And so there were a lot of messages that we received that we never responded to. Uh, and so we were just like the other day we were looking through and we're like, oh my goodness, there's so many here. So we felt terrible. So if you have called and we haven't responded to you, it's not because we don't like you. It's because we weren't uh, ghosting you. Yeah. Uh, so we will, we will do better in the future to get back to you right away. Uh, and we really do appreciate all the phone calls. So cool. All right. You ready to go? Yeah, man. Okay. Ready to do this. All right. So some of these questions will take us a little bit longer than others. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. So there, luckily, we chose, I don't think we chose any yes or no ones. Mm. Those are the worst, right? Yeah. Because it's a podcast. What kind of podcast would that be? Um, I mean, it'd just be quick, fast. You know? <laughs> All right. So let's go with number one. Uh, what are some of the most noteworthy traits that define successful resellers? So I feel like this is a question that's posed to us like we're gurus, like we know. I can just speak on experience from yeah. observing good resellers. Yeah, that and and just in general success um, in in different areas of life there there do tend to be um certain characteristics and traits that follow or kind of represent the people who are very successful and we've talked a lot about those in our level up review so if you are uh just kind of getting started and in any area of your life you're you're thinking hey I want to become successful and I'm not sure where to start uh check out our level up review episodes because there's a lot of just nuggets and key points of here if you implement this this will be you know life changing for you um I would say uh, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot of similar ones. Um, but if I had to boil it down to one, and I know Orlando hates this word, um, and and I I'm going to use it anyways. But I think discipline is, is that key. a word of the year. Do yeah. we have a word of the year? I, that was my word of the year several years ago. Uh, I've only done this for two years. Well, not for the podcast, <laughs> okay, but just okay. for my life. I always have a, a word of the year. And uh, the reason I say that is, and, and again, you can replace discipline, self-discipline, with something like you know uh, consistency or uh, you know tenacity, internal fortitude. There's a lot of things you can replace that with if, if you're like Orlando and that word kind of bugs you. Uh, but the idea is you've got to stay focused even when you don't feel like it. If you want to be successful, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be emotional uh, highs and lows. There's going to be times where you get up and you don't feel like getting up early and going and sourcing, or you don't feel like listing the items that have been sitting around for a while. And the reality is if you're not doing the things you know you need to do, and it's usually very simple, you can probably sit down in 10 minutes and list out here are the the steps I should take in order to grow my store and become more successful. And then it's a matter of actually implementing those things. So um, I would say discipline is probably one of the the crucial ones for me. Yeah. And I mean, and tied into that, there's a lot. But I would say, you know, I've done this for like 10 years now. And then this is now 
year number three of me doing full time and observing, you know, I've been able to travel the country, get to meet other resellers, especially because of social media. And one of the things I have consistently noticed is that those resellers that stay for a while, right? Because here's the thing, the reselling game, like resellers come and go like crazy, even on social media. Like you, you, one day you're having a conversation like, hey, what happened to this person? I don't know. They just, I guess they stopped reselling. And is they end up finding the model that works. So what, what I mean by that is they don't keep chasing different models, right? So they don't go like, oh, Amazon's hot, so I'm just going to keep doing Amazon. And then now that eBay's hot, I'm going to jump to eBay. Oh, Mercari's good. I'm going to do Mercari. Oh, Poshmark's good. Poshmark is good. Or, hey, this item is selling high, and they keep jumping from item to item. Usually, it's individuals that have consistent items that sell. Now, they do have to flex. They do have to adapt. But they have certain niches that they're good at. Right. And it's not one niche, it's multiple niches. So the resellers I know that do things well, they know multiple niches. Now, there are some that are very good. Like they, I know some guys that they just do vintage, like 90s clothing. And right now, because of that market, they've done very well. But I know others that have several. So they're able to dabble into vintage clothing, but they also know vintage stereo equipment. Right. And they also know vintage trains and they also know this other field. So when they go sourcing or they do bulk buys, they know several different areas, right? And that takes time. That takes time. That takes patience. That takes failing. The other one is they have consistent inventory supply. So what I mean is they have networked in a way where they're never concerned about where they're going to get inventory. They always have stuff to sell. And what they've done is over the years, they've networked. My thing is it's very tough to just be dependent on, let's say, just ordering pallets or just ordering bulk inventory or just going to garage sales or just going to thrift stores. Like there has to be a way where it's a consistent, you know, sourcing opportunity where that means that, Hey, this is my plan A. So plan A for me is going to be, okay, I have a wholesale deal and I also have bulk inventory, but here's my plan B. It's right. These are other sellers. I know that they look for items that they sell, but when they find items that doesn't apply to them, they'll contact me. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I get what you're saying there. And then, um, so I think that's good. Adaptability, flexibility are, are, are crucial. Oh, that's huge. Um, you know, discipline and consistency. I think all those things kind of work together. Um, and then my last thing that I would just add, and, and I, I don't think I need to go into a lot of depth on this, but uh, just a willingness to learn, right? If you are stuck in a place where you feel like you know everything or you're not willing to spend a few hours improving yourself, whether it's taking uh, taking a course, watching some YouTube videos, reading a book, doing just market research on eBay and figuring out what's selling for what prices. Uh, if you're not willing to learn and, and grow, you're not going to be successful. You might get lucky uh, for a time, but when difficulties come, you're not going to have that ability to adapt. So be willing to be disciplined, be willing to adapt, be willing to be flexible, be consistent in something. Don't just go with the flow, you know, and, and constantly change what you're doing and be willing to grow. I think those, if you can do those things, everything else is going to fall into place. Right. So that's, that's what I would say. Do that and you will be successful. I want to add one more thing though. Sure. You got to have systems in place, systems of inventory, systems of bookkeeping, systems to be able to manage your money. Right. Because I know so many, and I'm guilty of this myself, many resellers that they buy and they buy and they buy and they buy but they have no system of processing that inventory, right? So they end up having a backlog of inventory or they have no process of storing that inventory. And so when everything sell, they're scrambling all over the place, they're losing stuff. 
and they have no system of customer service. Like they don't know where they land on, hey, this is what my process is for returns. This is what my process is for when I get, you know, a book deal. This is my process for when I need, you know, to sort. Like they they have like they have go-tos. They don't have to spend a lot of time. Now that comes with time, but it's huge. And I would say the last point is customer service. Like, and, and that applies with adaptability, understanding that markets change, understanding that number one priority is the customer, no matter as much as we hate saying that because we get, you know, jaded sometimes understanding that ultimately the customer is the reason why you're able to sell those items. And so you have to set things up for the customer, whether that means on the front end, having great listings, having, you know, competitive prices, having great policies and on the back end. When things don't work out, how do you handle your returns? How do you deal with angry customers? If you're able to do those things along with everything else we said, you should be the A-plus reseller. For sure. A-plus plus. At least it's my thoughts. All right. You ready for the next one? Let's do it. All right. So number two said, uh, how do you handle items you don't know much about but have a large profit margin? So that's I'll, I'll start with this one. So this is this is a tough one because it all depends on are you willing to take the time to learn, right? You have to, you have to be willing to spend the time. There are some items that I know have a large profit margin, but I know will take me a long time, right? So give you an example. Let's say we're dealing with, I don't know, air conditioning units, right? And you know, I'm at an auction and there's several units that are being sold, but it's not guaranteed that they all work. And then I might have to repair some and, and, I have no expertise in that field. Now, it could be a huge profit margin. I may be able to pay, you know, 100 to 200 to 500 and on so many units and, you know, my net profit might be 2 to 3k. But then the problem is I don't have the resources to take care of it. Number one, I have to figure out the transportation, right? How am I going to get those units from point A to point B? Then, do you have the storage for those items? Three, do you have the ability to fix those items? And if you don't, are you willing to pay someone to do it or are you willing to do it? Right. But it's, you got to make, I, to me, time is the biggest thing here because I have picked up some things where, you know, it could have been something that I could have sold for like three, $4,000, but then all the time I would have spent and trying to get connected with an auction house and da, 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 da. I, I sometimes have just said, I'm just going to go with a fast flip and I'm just going to flip this for, you know, under a thousand and just let it go cash that cash flow that into something else and just move on. But you, that's a question you have to ask yourself. And again, are you, do you have the capital to spend it? Right. Do you have, you know, let's say I remember when I first started reselling, I only had like $5,000 capital, right? And somebody, if somebody approached me with a $5,000 deal, and said, hey, with this 5000 you could turn it into 25000 If I really knew myself, would I have gone all in? Possibly. But if I didn't, it would have been a lot more risk tied to it, right? So it has to be, I definitely believe it has to be something you are well aware of for you to drop a lot of money. But if time is not a problem and capital is not a problem, I don't see a problem with it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that's all good. I think you're right. I think... Um there's going to be risk. You always, you have to be self-aware enough to know, are you able to handle the risks involved, especially if it's a big purchase or it's just something you, you like Orlando said earlier, you do you have the systems in place to handle it. And we going back to richest man in Babylon. One of the things that it said in that book was you don't luck is not a thing, but 
the successful people know how to capitalize on opportunities when they come. And so you have to position yourself in a place where you can capitalize when those opportunities come. And maybe for the first couple big opportunities that come, you haven't positioned yourself there yet. You ha- you don't have the systems in place. You haven't spent the time learning. But if you do that now, if you figure that stuff out now, then you can take those risks and capitalize on opportunities. But it's going to come down to, hey, if there's a potential $2,000 profit on an item and it's going to take a big portion of your capital, it's not going to hurt to say, I'm going to spend two or three hours researching this and make sure I know what I'm doing because you're going to count that into either one of two things. One, your you know how, your salary, how much per hour are you making? Or two, avoiding the loss, right? So maybe that's you spend five hours researching and it pays off and you end up making $2,000 in the next 24, 48 hours or month or whatever it is. And you could say, wow, that was great. Or that five hours could say, you know what? I'm not buying this. This is a bad deal. I thought it might've been good. And that saved you a thousand dollars or however much, right? So think about your time that way and be willing to do the research. Right. And it's, it's so hard. I'm telling you, cause sometimes you'll see stuff and you're like, Hey, I can make so much money, but how many times have we bought something and it sits on our shelves? Right. Cause we just don't want to do it. And then you have lost money, right? And time, if you spend some time and then you give up on it. So you got to think those through. So hopefully that answered your question. All right, we're going to do one more regular before we jump into a voicemail. You I ready? like it. All right. So number three, how do you move past bad buys in mental terms? I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Mike? You move past it. That's it. Um, no, I, honestly, you know, it's kind of a common cliche now, but the idea of falling forward and the, the or failing forward might be another way of, of saying that is mistakes are going to happen. Bad buys, maybe a mistake. You didn't handle something properly and you broke something. You can look at that and you can let that eat you up or you can say, and and one thing I learned when I was in, I was taking a community college class when I was right out of high school and it was a basic economics class. I think it was maybe macroeconomics. And one of the things that I, I learned in that class that I've kept with me my entire life is the idea of sunk cost. And so many people get in their mind, you know, you, let's say you you spent $500 on something and it didn't work out, but you're like, maybe if I spend another hundred and then it'll work out. Well, I've already wasted $600, so I might as well. And you don't think about it as I've already lost this money, right? It's sunk cost. You can't get it back. And so instead of thinking, I've already spent all of this time, maybe it's a career. I've already spent all this time. And if I don't continue in it, even if a better opportunity comes, maybe another career you know, path and you say, you know what, but I've already spent all these years in schooling for this. So I'm going to stick with what I know because I don't want to waste what I learned. Well, that's sunk cost. It's already gone. You can't get it back. And so if a better opportunity, you've always got to do the, the cost benefit analysis. If a better opportunity comes up, you take the better opportunity and you ignore. You can't, it's like the, you can't cry over spilt milk. And so failing forward, recognizing you can learn from mistakes. And then also thinking about that idea of sunk cost that once you've already paid for something and if you've lost paying extra and extra and extra into it, hoping to maybe redeem a little bit is oftentimes not worth it because that money is gone. That mistake has happened and maybe you can redeem it somehow. And and that's great if you can, but the best way to redeem it is to learn, to move forward. And then to take that as, um, if if you were taking a college class, you're going to spend hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars per credit, right? To learn some things. So if you make a mistake and it costs you a hundred dollars, $200, $500, just think, wow, that's what I paid to learn this lesson. And you learn the lesson and you move forward. And you just kind of have to have that mentality and not let yourself get swayed by the constant ups and downs and find a way to stay consistent and find a way to stay 
uh, motivated even when things get really, really difficult. Yeah. And from a practical perspective, if it's a bad buy, like there's no, like you try to redeem it, right? Let's say you buy, you dropped a, I remember one time I bought a hockey jerseys, a hockey jersey, and I thought it was worth like, I don't know, $300. And then I found out that it was fake. You know how I found out that it was fake? Mm -hmm. It had a Nike tag and a Reebok tag in it. Don't even know how that happened. It was, so it was a USA hockey jersey. And the worst thing I could have done is that I kept thinking it over because I didn't get rid of it. I kept seeing it. Any t- I, I put it in my pile of like stuff I need to donate. And I kept looking at it. And I kept looking at it. And I kept looking at it. And I'm not a fan of donating items. Like if they're in your store and you can still sell them. But if they're a bad buy, best thing you could do is just get rid of it. I mean, physically move it. Like get it out of sight so you're not thinking about it. You just got to move on. And you got you to gotta count those losses. It's like anything in life. I mean, like today, <laughs> my car for the podcast didn't start. And that right now it, it's, you know, I could think about it and it could bother me, but here's the thing. It's just part of the system. I know that by later on this afternoon, it's going to be at a repair shop. It's going to get repaired. Yes. I'm going to have to get a rental car. Yes. I plan on getting a ton of sourcing, but just understanding that two, three days from now, it's going to be a non-issue. Car is going to be working again. Everything I source is going to work out. My profits are going to pay for it and I'm going to be okay. And it's the same thing when you do bad buys. Just understand that that's just going to be part of what happens when you resell. Now, we've had people before on our podcast or on our YouTube comments say, I've never had a bad buy. And I'm like, well, um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you were, you're, you, you're probably a legit reseller. Because the thing with, re, with being a reseller at times is you do take risk. You sometimes go all in on a certain item because you know that profit margin. If you always play it safe, then your profits will always be safe. Sometimes you have to be willing to take that risk, right? And so that happens at times. So as long as you're able to come in with the mindset that, hey, every so often I am going to pick up something that's junk or that's trash. Every so often I'm going to pick up a hot item that I think I'm going to make a lot of money on. And by the time I get it listed, the market's already tanked. If you come in with that mindset and understanding that that's the cost of business, it's like doing returns. It's like sometimes when you have items that you ship and you think it was going to cost you a certain amount, it ends up costing you the same amount of profit that you were going to make. It's part of what happened. Coming in with that mindset is super important because if you're always thinking that every single time that you source, you're always going to win, you're going to be really sad when you don't because you're not having an understanding of how the business works. So hopefully that helps. I think that's good. And one last thing I'll just quickly say, and I try and teach, I I teach sixth graders now, which is interesting going from high school to sixth grade. But even when I was teaching high school, I tried to teach the same thing. Oftentimes, whatever's happening in your life in the present feels like the most all consuming thing. It it seems like it's, it's just devastating and you let it impact you. And I always tell, like when I was teaching high school students, I would say, Hey, do you remember that, that time when you were in the fifth grade and you had that really big project and you were up all night and you, you, you did a bad job and you messed up and you couldn't sleep. And a lot of times they're like, yeah, I I guess I did stress when I was then. I'm like, does it matter now? No. Okay, so the thing you're really, really stressed about now and you're letting it control and consume your life, you're going to look back a couple of years from now and you're going to say it, does, it didn't really matter. It mattered in the moment, but then as you move on, you look back and you usually don't even remember. So there are going to be a handful of life-altering things that happen in your life that you can't get away from. Most things aren't that. Most things aren't. That's true. But we treat That's most true. things like they are. And so when you make a, a mistake, maybe it's maybe it's you went broke. Like you, you, you in life, you, and we're going to be doing, you know, uh, our total money makeover book. And and so you can go broke and you can say, man, I messed up. 
but you can still fix that. You can come back from those things. So most things aren't the end of the world, but we treat them like they are. And so if you can just, when you're going through a bad thing right now, you lose some money, you make a mistake. Remember that five years from now, you're going to be like, man, why was I so stressed about that? Because life has moved on and I've moved on. So if you can kind of think about that now, it'll help you get through those times. Agreed. Agreed. And that's so, so key in understanding that you can always rebound. I mean, how many times you hear about individuals that lost it all and then they rebuilt and they're okay. I mean, even Dave Ramsey with the total money makeover, he was a millionaire and he lost it all. I can't comprehend that because I've never been that, <laughs> been there, but it's doable, right? And so understand that this is something that all resellers go through. All right. Are we ready for a voicemail? Yeah, our first call. Thank you for calling, by the way. Um, and I haven't actually listened to these yet. Orlando kind of helped pick these out. So um, <laughs> I will be hearing these for the first time right now. And some are oldies. Yeah, because, oldies but goodies. Because we didn't get to them. Hey, guys. Um, so I'm a fairly new seller. Um, I currently do resell uh, sneakers. Uh, so I have that niche. But if I wanted to expand into other categories... When I walk into a thrift store or I go to uh, a yard sale, it seems sort of overwhelming because I'm looking at different uh, items and I really don't don't know where to start. If I'm looking at, I don't know, records and then uh, I'm looking at something else, sometimes it, you know, it's easy to, you know, kind of look at a few things and then and then quit. I mean, how do you guys suggest going into a thrift store or going into a yard sale and how to time be organized and make sure that you get everything and, and see everything but also do it in an efficient manner uh look forward to hearing what you guys have to say you mind if i jump on this really yeah quick? that's fine yeah. um just because i'm i'm still the newer of the two of us well, when it comes to, new. to reselling um but i mean newer so i remember exactly what that felt feels like and some really good advice just in any area when you when you're trying something new is don't think that you have to be there day one. It's going to take time. And so when you see people who know how to do garage sales and they know a lot of items, they're spending sometimes 30 seconds walking around the garage sale, quick look through things, they're jumping in their car and they're leaving. When I first started, even when I went with Orlando, he was like waiting for me at times or I'd go into a thrift store. There's times where I would, I, I could spend an hour at one garage sale. I could spend two or three hours in one thrift store. Why? Because I get to the tie section. I'm like, man, I don't know anything about ties. And so I would spend an hour looking at every single brand. Do these sell? What do these sell for? What do these sell for? I'd go home and I'd watch a YouTube video. And over time, what ends up happening is I might spend, you know, in one week, 10 hours in a thrift store finding a few things that are worthwhile. And then the next week I can spend eight hours and then the next week, four hours. And the next week I I could walk in and I can look and say, I know for a fact that's not worth money because I've already looked up that brand and I know that's not worth money. And so the amount of time you're spending gets less and less, the amount of things you have to look up. And then what's really cool is then when you see something you've never seen before, you know to look it up. You, 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 it's like a red flag for you. Hey, this is unique. I've been to thousands of thrift stores. I've spent hundreds of hours at garage sales and I've never seen anything like this before. When you first go, everything looks like that, right? Everything looks sure. unique. But the more you see common things, when you go through a clothing rack and you see the same brand over and over at every single thrift store, you're like, yep, that brand must be garbage. But when you see something unique, you look it up and maybe it's garbage and maybe it's the winner. And so just realize it's going to take time. And the more you do it, the less time it's going to take and the more often you're going to spot the winners. Yeah. And I will tell you in the beginning, and Mike did this very well. And 
you know, we always we talked about this in other podcasts, how curiosity is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And the fact that Mike, his first score at the thrift store was a skin caliber thing that you paid, what, 10 bucks and you sold for like a hundred something. Yeah, I think I paid a little bit more than that. But yeah, it was a weird, bizarre thing that I was like, oh, mate, what is this? And I just looked it up. I was naive. And so I looked up everything. Yeah. And so, OK, so looking up everything and I know it, it sounds painful, but I really it is. It, it is. But I really think in the beginning, there's two ways to go about it. The first part is. You saw what you know. So you know sneakers, right? Now, is it possible that you also could delve into sandals or you can delve into dress shoes or you can delve into hiking items? You got to go with what you enjoy sourcing, I think, in the beginning, right? And then over time, right, you can begin a venture out or you can go the other route. The other route is what I did. <laughs> I would go. I'll never forget. I would go into thrift stores and I would plan to be in that thrift store for two hours and I literally would start in one part of the store and I would just go through everything and anything that I thought had value, I would look up. And I I did that for weeks on end. Sometimes I walked out with stuff and other times I didn't, but it just took time. Now my process is different. Like when I walk in a thrift store now, first place I go is shoes. To me, shoes have the greatest ROI. I can go in there. I usually try to go first for the shoes that are behind the glass. Because those are items that people don't want to pick up. A lot of resellers don't like paying up. I like paying up. I don't mind paying 35 to make 100 And so a lot of people will pass on that. Then after that, I love Hawaiian shirts. And I love shirts that are unique. So I'll go to the short sleeve section. And I'll go through that. Then after that, I'll go to the jackets. Then after go to the jackets, then I'll go to maybe electronics, right? But I'm not a fan of electronics because I know it takes work, right? So... You got to figure out. I think Mike, you probably will go electronics first. Um, has that changed? Yeah. Mike's going back and forth. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll do shoes a lot of times first, but uh, electronics or home goods in general, because yeah. I, I do really well with home goods. So I, I've kind of started to steer away from electronics. Uh, I like to glance really quick because you never know if you find something really awesome. But yeah, home goods I, I tend to do pretty well, and so I'll check those out. Toys, I look, I, I love to look at the toys. Um, and so, yeah, I have a, a method, but again, it's one of those things where you develop an eye and the longer you do it, uh, Orlando used to always say to me, there'd be times I'd say like, man, I just, I go to thrift stores and I don't find anything. And, and he'd say like, don't worry, the longer you do it, the more things you'll find just because you're building that, that, the asset that you have in between your ears, right? Your brain, you're developing the knowledge base that you have. And the nice thing is just think about, you're not going to remember everything. You're not going to remember mm-hmm. exactly which items, which brands, but you get, you start to categorize, you start to categorize. I can tell by the feel of this based off of the feel of shirts that I've sold that are worth more money. And so you start to categorize and it, it makes it easier and you can kind of go through and, and just think about, you can hear a song that you heard, you know, years and years ago, or you can jump on a bike if you haven't been on a bike in a long time. And a lot of that stuff, it's just there, even if you don't, you know, think about it all the time. And same thing with brands and types of items, you'll just see it and be like, huh, that, but only because you've seen 500 of them only because you've seen 500 that are different than the one that you're seeing right now. And so just get your eyes out there and it takes time. Uh, but you know, that time is going to pass no matter what. So you might as well be learning and growing. That goes back to that first thing of what does it take to be a successful reseller, successful resellers, especially if you're like a garage sale store, like we are essentially the more items you see, you just, you, it takes time, but you'll build it. Yeah. And the other thing is after you go to the thrift store, right. And you understand that there are certain items that are value go back and do some research on the app itself, on the eBay app or on the desktop. Go to sold, type in what you found at the thrift store and see different variances 
of that same item. And so then you have a better eye when you go out because over time you won't use your phone very much. Like I remember and I remember Mike in the beginning, like always with the phone, right? Always the phone out. And we always would have a discussion like, is it okay to take the phone out? Is it, is it not? It's always okay to take the phone out. At least that's my thoughts. But over time, for doing things for a while, like with sneakers for you, you understand like what kind of sneakers you're looking for when you go into place. That's not a tough one. I'm the same way when it comes to cowboy boots. It's very rare that I look up cowboy boots. I can actually go by the weight of a boot or how it feels. And then I know it's quality and then I can guess the brand sometimes. I mean, I'm not that, that good, but sometimes it's like that. But it, it does take time. It, it's going to take research. But that time that you spend researching will be well worth it. Cool. I like it. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Hey, everyone. Ever found yourself too busy to list or wanting to scale and not knowing how? Well, we've partnered with a great service called Sellhound. They will help you do much of the heavy lifting and can benefit your business in many ways. Sign up for listing services with Sellhound and receive 25% off your first purchase or 25% off your first month of a Sellhound monthly subscription. You can do this by using our promo code all in caps, Pure Hustle 25. That's the numbers two five. By the way, everyone gets three free listings to try out before any purchases. Just go to sawhound.com and subscribe using our promo code Pure Hustle 25. So Orlando and I are always looking out for tools and programs that can be used in our own reselling to help improve our sales uh, and things that we can share with the community in order to help others. Uh, and we've been lucky enough to partner with two companies here at the same time uh, that we think do just that. So it's kind of interesting because both of these companies are competition. So, uh, you know, but this is a good thing that we're advertising both, I feel, because we are really, really big on letting you make decisions and not saying like, this is the way you should do things because you know, you know, what's best for your model of selling and what you need to be doing. Uh, so we've been able to partner with list perfectly and Vindu. And both of these are programs that can be used to cross list postings on multiple platforms. This is great because we always talk about the importance of being on multiple platforms and not putting all of your eggs into one basket. But one of the barriers to that is the time issue. And the nice thing with List Perfectly and Vindu is it allows you to make one listing that then gets cross-posted to multiple platforms. So you're not having to post things multiple places and spend that time. And in this case, that time saved is money you're making. So both of these companies have a special offer for our listeners if you were to sign up. Um, you need to sign up using the affiliate links that we have in our descriptions or show descriptions in order to get the uh, promotional codes. Uh, so first of all is List Perfectly. They're giving 30% off your first month, which is amazing. And they've got some incredible things that they they offer. So uh, for instance, your postings go to eBay, they go to Mercari, Depop, Grail, Etsy, Poshmark. There's just so many. You got to check it out. There's almost too many to list here. Um, and so if you sign up, you get 30% off, but you have to use our... our link and then use the code LP30. And then the other one is Vindu. Vindu is very similar. Uh, you're going to get 25% off your first month if you use our affiliate link. You don't have to use a promo code. Just click on the link in the description. Uh, and your, your listings are going to go to eBay. They're going to go to Etsy. They're going to go to Poshmark. They're going to go to Mercari. So this is just a great opportunity for you to save some time, get on multiple platforms, and maybe make some more money. All right, let's jump into uh, one more and then we'll talk about social media for a little cool. bit. All right. Number four, your thoughts on the offer to watchers option. Is there a way to keep track of your offers? What are your thoughts on that, Mike? Um, this one I think is super simple. If you see an offer available to send, send it. 
Um, it's really, there's so much behind the algorithms. How long is it in somebody's cart? How many times can you send an offer to somebody? Um, what, who's eligible? And I would say, in, unless you're a, a computer programmer that like cares to develop your own system, it almost doesn't matter what's happening behind the scenes and trying to keep track of all that stuff. I just say, if you have the ability to send an offer, send it as soon as you see it. Uh, and again, we talked in an earlier episode about the idea of kind of striking while it's hot. One of the things is people will put things in their cart sometimes, or if they're, if they've viewed it multiple times and in like an hour, or a certain amount of time. And so even knowing all that back stuff isn't important. It, just know if you have a chance in an offer, send the offer right away. And if they accept it, great. If they don't, you didn't lose anything. So uh, I think it's a, don't even worry about who's received offers. Can you send more offers? If it's available, send it and you're going to win sometimes you're going to lose sometimes, but you're never going to win if you don't play. Yeah, and and the interesting thing about it is I've had people ask me, like, how do you know who you're sending offers to? Or I've had people before say, man, what if I keep sending it to the same person? Like, if you don't know, it doesn't matter. And even if you did, it doesn't matter. I mean, what what what's what's the worst that happens? Somebody gets mad at you, sends you an angry message. Like, I, I, I wouldn't stress it. And if you caught our last update episode, the, the information they gave us, right, the three ways that they choose who you can send offers to, right? The number one is it's a watcher. The second one, it's in their cart. The third one is they're doing heavy browsing. That means they looked at an item more than three times within 15 minutes. And that's why you need to act fast. I mean, I am sending offers all day. If you just saw my phone right now, I just sent an offer. And so the reason, well, that was different. Somebody wanted a deal right now. So I had to move on it. But I'm telling you, you got to think about yourself. Like if there's an item you're looking at and you're like, ah, I don't know, I, I kind of want this item. And then you get sent an offer for cheap. Like you might go, I want this. Or even if it's not cheap, even if it's 10% off, the impulsivity of the moment will get that person to accept and they'll buy and you're converting a sale. Will it end up a return later? Maybe. Will the person have remorse later? Maybe. But the key thing is to keep converting. So I love the send offers to watchers. I think is one of the best tools around because number one, it's going to trigger the algorithm, right? Because you're having constant activity. And again, we don't know everything that the algorithm tracks, but I'm pretty sure that's one of them. Two, you're catching people right when it's happening, right? And three, it's kind of like a bonus, right? You might you may have already sales that are coming through the day, just people randomly out buying or, or sending you an offer. But now you can take a proactive step to convert those sales. So I definitely would say that is probably the top three, one of the top three features that eBay's released for me in the last few years. Yeah, it's been good. So, all right. Before we move on, if you are following us on Instagram, we appreciate you. On Facebook, we appreciate you. TikTok, we appreciate you even more. And no, I'm joking. TikTok, TikTok might be gone. I'm hearing theories about like yeah, banning TikTok. So, we'll see. So we'll see. That would be that. The, 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 this is why we're on every platform, right? And Facebook, we love you guys because you know what? You guys are the loyal. Because sometimes, like I don't know what it is, but we don't get back to you on Facebook. And even when I respond to something two weeks after, you're always like. Thank you. Or like if putting in that like. So I appreciate that. So on Facebook, on TikTok, on Instagram, we are Pure Soul Podcast. On Twitter, we are Pure Soul Cast. If you want to give us a call like everyone else has done for these voicemails, you can always call us at 619-738-1170. That's 619-738-1170. Or you can shoot us an email at 
purewrestlepodcast at gmail.com. I almost gave my personal email at that time. Oh, that would have been cool. That would have been interesting. Uh, so you can email us at purewrestlepodcast at gmail.com. If you are watching the podcast, I we appreciate you. But if you're listening and you want to watch us, because at this point in time, Mike's on the road and he's maybe dropping some videos from his road trip, hit that subscribe button on YouTube and that bell notification. And as always, thank you all for consistently supporting us, whether it be through donations, whether it be through buying shirts, whether it be through those awesome iTunes reviews. I want to read one of them. This last, this last one was pretty awesome. Well, okay. There, I hate, I hate it. When, I always have to give a quality, uh, a kind of a, is it a qualifier? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, we know they're all awesome, but this one, you know, we recognize was great. So let me look this up real quick. And here's the thing. These reviews, as we say every time, it helps us in the algorithm. It pushes up our podcast when people are looking for a recent And podcast. it motivates and encourages us. It does. We're at 307. Yeah. Yeah, we're mo- moving on up. So maybe we'll read too. We'll see. All right. So I thought this was uh, pretty hilarious. Oh, yeah. There's two of them. So let's read two of them. All right. That's it. Whoa. There's another one. Wow. Remember that one I said, hey, we should read this on air? Maybe we'll do one on on, on our update episode. Wow. There's like four added nice. since then. That's, thank you, guys. Yeah. Seriously, thank you. All right. So this comes from the Stephen King universe. Nice. Stephen King universe said, it was a seasonably warm Ohio afternoon. I found myself wanting to hear something pure. The algorithm, algorithm was in my favor. Not far down my list of options, I found the soothing tone of Orlando and Mike telling me all about the flip life. Flip on, hustlers. Nice. I, I like that. I'm I like not that. even sure if that's a reseller. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like, it's like a poet? Well, maybe. Like, or just, the, you know, they're just, I mean, it, who knows? But uh, that, that's that's cool. Um, thank you. Um, I, I've always kind of... Thank you, Stephen King Universe. Yeah. I've always kind of wished I had a better, like, radio voice. Um more of a deep tone that sounded nice and soothing. I just, I don't. So it is what it is. And, uh, and so the fact that, you know, our voices are those things that maybe are helping lull you to sleep when you're having a, a difficult day and we can be that calm, you know, it's cool. It's cool, man. Thank you guys. I just, oh, I shared that with Mike. I texted that one to Mike and we're like, you know, lol, but it was, it was hilarious. It was awesome. So we appreciate you guys. Thank you for the reviews. All right. We are about halfway through these. Let's go to... Are we doing a voicemail for the next one? Yep. Okay. Let's hit it. Hey, guys. This is Jeff again. I called the other day. Uh, I had another question for you. Just what is your view and pros and cons of an eBay store versus just selling on eBay? Um, Again, I was just starting out as a reseller and I'm doing a lot of homework really quick uh, to kind of educate myself on a lot of stuff. So I just wanted your thoughts on an eBay store versus just selling on eBay and what your thoughts were on that. Again, love the podcast. Thanks for all the tips and advice and knowledge. Volo! (laughs) Yeah. That was awesome. Like out of nowhere. That needs to be added to our sound effects. I appreciate that. That definitely, that was like, boom. I'm I'm all thinking through his question. Like, yeah. how am I going to answer it? And, well, the, the and here's the thing too is, is Google voice will like give you a transcript and it's usually pretty off. Sometimes it's funny just what the transcript <laughs> says. And you're like, what are they saying? Uh, but it, there was, there was nothing after uh, that last part. We said, thanks for all the tips and advice and knowledge. It doesn't say Bolo. There's no, so I wasn't expecting. I thought it was going to end. I'm like, man, four seconds of just dead air. I was about to turn it down. All of a sudden. 
Bolo. I liked it. That's good. Nice. All right. So being that you went from a non-store to a store, I mean, I've done that for a while. What are your thoughts? Um, this is, there's not a, a one size fits all or an easy answer for this. Um, I guess there is an easy answer, but it's going to be case by case. And the easy answer is when it makes sense. And what I mean by that is if you've got 10 items in a store and you're just starting out and you've got those free listings and it's not costing you anything or barely anything, don't do it. When you get to the point where you're spending more on insertion fees than it would cost for the store, then get the store. Now, depending on your sell-through rate, that's not necessarily, you might say, well, I have 500 items, so I need this store. But if your sell-through rate is pretty quick, you might be listing a thousand items a month. So you need a different store. So every case is going to be different. It's not even once you get this amount of inventory or once you have, what I would say is look at your bills. And if you're paying more in insertion fees, than you would get for the store. And then there's also other benefits, right? The ability to do, you know, sales, the ability uh, to go on vacation mode, all of the different things that you have available that start to open up with stores. So you got to ask yourself, are these features I could use? What about the coupon? You know, am I going to get a $25 coupon once a quarter or whatever it is? There, there might be certain things that you kind of factor in. But usually the simple answer is if you're paying more each month in insertion fees than the cost of a store, get the store. Agreed, agreed. And to me, the magic number was around around 50. Like I remember when I hit 50, I was like, I need a store because I was looking at the insertion fees and the cost because based on the level of store, you get a free amount of insertion fees. Now you are paying, it's not free, right? It's not like you instantly are saving money, but there's also the free shipping coupon that you can count into that. And to me, it's a great deal. Plus, yes, the other perks are very valuable. So Mike had mentioned about the idea of doing a markdown sale. I think that's key. And there's also the ability of using Terapeak. I think that's super important. I mean, research is golden. And so it's kind of nice that eBay, you know, merged with Terapeak because back in the day, like Terapeak was a different service, right? And so when eBay merged with Terapeak, it, it gave another bonus to having an eBay store. Now, our hope in the long term is that eBay will end insertion fees and we just pay store fees or vice versa. I don't know what it'll be like. That'd be interesting if they opened up the door to everything. Yeah. Right. No, no, no store subscriptions. Like they just charge insertion fees, but no store subscriptions or no insertion fees and just store subscriptions. Which, yeah. which one do you think would be better? <laughs> On the spot I think right it, now. I think it's just be either or, right? You have the choice. You can get a store. A certain store, like, you know, you pay $100 a month or whatever it is, depending on what the store would look like. And there's zero insertion fees or there's level of stores and it's unlimited or you pay for insertion fees. That way it kind of just depends on, I think Amazon's a good example of this. You can pay the $30 a month and you're not paying a certain fee per item or you pay whatever it is, 99 cents per item uh, to list. And so that to me, well, that Amazon, makes it's no, it's, it's 40 and then you pay if if you don't pay that forty like the pro professional model, you end up paying a dollar per item that you sell. Yeah, that's what I mean. It. Yeah, so that, to me, a model like that would be would, would make sense like either or. So if you've got a small store, you're not listing a lot of things, then maybe you just you know pay per diem or per item. Or if you have enough, then you buy the store, and so that way people have an option. But then instead of kind of tacking on both, so if you have a store, you still have to potentially pay insertion fees if you go too much. I just think they're Maybe there's a store that's a certain level and it's not unlimited or you can pay a little bit more and have unlimited. And and I don't know, that'd be nice. But again, that's I I have to I have to believe that there are very smart people working at eBay who are doing the best things, given the knowledge they have and that there's reasons they haven't done that and that it's in my best interest. Because if I don't believe the best in that situation, 
then you get negative and upset and frustrated. So I just got to believe that they're doing the right thing for the customers and for the sellers and for eBay as a business. And if they grow and learn another way, they're going to implement it. But it's so easy for somebody to be an armchair quarterback and say, you should do it this way, not knowing all the behind the scenes. We're like, well, if we did it that way, it would actually hurt sellers or hurt customers, or we would make less money and we'd have to fire a bunch of people. And then our, you know, so we just don't know. Uh, but I would just, I, I hope they're doing the right thing based off of what they know. Yeah. And so just getting back to the original question, should you get an eBay store or not, or it's a difference? I would, I, I adamantly say, I think it's a good call to make because uh, there's a lot more perks of not having a store, right? And I already mentioned a lot of them, but sometimes there's those perks that you don't see coming. Like for example, this last go around during the pandemic, if you had a store that was a premium or higher, you got 50,000 free listings and it was only supposed to go to May, and then it ended up going through the end of July and maybe it'll send further. But even pre-pandemic, stuff like that would happen all the time. It would say, hey, if you're an eBay store owner, this month, we're going to give you a thousand free listings or this month, we're going to give you 500 auction style listings. So to me, the, the price that you get is well worth it because even with the shipping supplies that you get each quarter, right? It, 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 you know, it's not going to cover everything. It's not going to cover the cost of your store subscription fee. But overall, I think I end up using the amount that I pay based on how much I use Terapeak, how much I use sales. And the fact that I use the shipping supplies consistently. And I always, always, I wish there was an in-between though, between premium and anchor, but I always max out my listings. So yeah, there, hopefully that answered your question about stores. Good. Are we doing a voicemail again? Nope. No. Oh, that we just did a voicemail. All right. So qu next question is, I have a pair of cowboy boots, but can't find the size. What do I do? All right. So I'll take this one. So this is a tough one. If you are unable to get your hand inside a boot. <laughs> So what I mean by that is the easiest way I sell things that I can't find the size is I if I can remove the insole, I'll remove the insole. And then with measuring tape, I'll measure the insole and I'll go online and I'll say how many inches or what is the size to inches ratio on a certain kind of shoe. And usually websites, whether it's Doc Martens or whether it's Tony Lama or Merrill or whatever, they usually have an inches to size, you know, side by side. And you can say, OK, if this is. 11 inches, this is probably a size 12 or 13 or so on. That's one way of doing it. If you can't remove the insole, right, you can, you have to like go inside the shoe and you have to like make sure the tip of the measuring tape gets to the very end and you measure the other side of the insole and that's how you do it. Now, I do remember uh, someone at one point found something on Alibaba that was like a shoe measuring thing like that you can buy i haven't found that tool i looked for it but if anybody knows like if, if we can get anything out of this podcast if you can find a tool that can measure shoes that would eliminate the measuring tape and measuring insoles let us know let us know down below uh i i would love to find out but that that is the easiest way and when i do the listing i'll put what size it is on the main headline but then when i go to the description i'll put 13 question mark and then parentheses say measured approximately at whatever inches so then the buyer knows that hey this wasn't you know something that came right off the label that this was measured out because most people right can they can go and they can grab measuring tape and measure their foot and go hey is it worth it right and then the other one i want to throw out that's kind of tough sometimes you'll find a boot and there's no size and you can't tell if it's a male or female boot mm. right the easiest way is if you put it on and you can't put it on. That's 
<laughs> I don't know if that works. That, that, no, it, it, it's it happened before where I... If I, it's your size. Yeah, if it's your size. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know. I'm, I'm joking around. But yeah, yeah. If it's your size. But but the other way is you look at the comparison charts and euro sizes are the same, right? So you'll be able to tell if you can find the euro size, then you can determine, all right, is this a male or is this a female shoe? And then you can determine size. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that's one way of doing it. And always remember, I'm going to throw extra info. Doc Martens that are made in England are UK sizes. And you always have to look up the US size, right? To make sure you have the right size. Always do that side-by-side -side comparison. I'm trying to remember right now. I think it's usually the US sizes. I'm not going to even say it. Yeah. Just look it up. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> all right. So, hey, hopefully that helped. Hey, we're all in that same game of like you find vintage pieces and you're trying to find the measurement. That's how I do it. Hopefully that was helpful. Cool. All right. Another voicemail. Here we go. Hi, guys. This is Kathy Copeland. And I really don't ex need to expect you to call back. I mean, there's no telling how many calls you guys get. But I'm one of your loyal followers. Just started a few months ago listening to podcasts and Instagram and stuff. But anyway, under three minutes, I just, I do not understand the difference between global shipping and international shipping. And I listened to the thing where you were talking about, um, I think it was you, Orlando, that was, you know, you had started doing it and, and all that. And anyway, I've, I've been looking at all the things on the eBay seller hub. I, been on the chat box with them and it did not make sense what they said. And then I've been on the phone with them asking them the difference between the two because I started thinking maybe it's the same thing, international and global, but it's not. It's two different things. Like you go about them different ways and, and I'm just like so confused about it. So anyway, um, you don't have to, I don't expect to call that, but I just don't know if it's something you might could put on your Instagram or something for those of us who are a little slower than maybe the average seller or something. I don't know, because I want to I want to break out of just domestic shipping, but I'm just really nervous about it. Um and I want to do I mean like when you list something, you have the option, you know, for inner to click the international thing, but there's no option there for global. It's like you have to go into your settings or something. It's just I don't get it. I, I don't understand the difference of the shipping stuff. So anyway, I'm repeating myself, but anyway you guys are awesome, and I never actually thought I would call you guys, but it just came up when I uh, when I had the option to contact you, so I just clicked the button for fun, actually. So you guys keep doing what you're doing. It's very inspiring. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. All right, Kathy, thank you. Yeah, so, thanks for the call. Do you want to get this rolling? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Alondo will go more into the specifics, but just to give a, a brief and to keep this concise, um, international shipping you are dealing with sending it to the customer directly through whatever agencies you have to do. So it's got to go through depending on the items or what country it's going to the custom forms. And uh, you are responsible for making sure that that item gets from wherever you're located in the United States to whatever country it's going to or wherever you're at. The global shipping program, at least for you know our American listeners, you send the item to Kentucky, goes to an eBay warehouse in Kentucky. They then deal with all of the international, the paperwork, any of the, the, the stuff that has to go overseas if they have to fill out custom forms or if there's extra taxes and fees and all of that. They The customer pays eBay that. Now, the difference uh, and the reason why uh, it comes up so much on our podcast is it is easier, I think, to do global shipping 
it's a lot easier and there's a lot of reasons like risk-wise where there may be less risk for you. However, it is potentially more expensive for a customer. So if a customer is buying it internationally and you're the one doing all the stuff, they might be able to, let's say, pay $20 shipping. But if they go through global shipping, they might be paying $35. So you might be losing buyers if you're doing just global shipping. But at least for Orlando, he feels like that's worth it to, to lose those potential buyers for the, the ease and for the sake of not having as much responsibility. So it really just depends on what you're looking for. You can kind of think internationally, you're responsible for figuring out, making sure. And there's programs you can use that'll kind of, you know, okay, this is going to, this is going to Australia or this is going to England. And so it, it, you could fill out the right paperwork for it. Um, and a lot of programs will do most of it for you. Just put in the information. But the nice thing with global shipping is you don't even, the bummer is sometimes customers will say like, well, how much is it going to cost to ship? And they have to put it in their cart and actually figure out. And a lot of times the shipping is really high, which is the reason why most of the items that we sell that go globally are higher end items where maybe it's already selling for $300 and they don't mind spending $40 shipping for something that might even be small because it's such a high end item that that difference isn't that big of a deal to them. So that, that's that's it in a nutshell. International shipping, you're responsible for making sure it gets to where they're going and all the custom forms. Global shipping, you send it to Kentucky, they take care of that. Yeah, and so and one is more economical and the other costs more. <laughs> so, right, and so add one more layer to that. So you can just ship stuff without doing eBay international delivery. You can do it like that. That's one option. A lot of people do that through pirate ship, uh, through simple export, and that you can do up to four pounds. So that's one way. So they, the reason that eBay introduced this was they wanted to get, allow you to be more competitive, as, as Mike said, because eBay, they, when they do the eBay global shipping program, they charge everything up front. So they charge your shipping. They charge the and the, everything's priority international. And on top of that, they charge the import fees, the custom fees, or whatever other fees up front. And usually they're above the amount that I don't know if they usually I, I haven't I can't say I know what it looks like on the other end, but I'm guessing it's a little bit heftier than if if it was once it goes through customs because it's an upfront cost. Right. So when you do the international shipping delivery through eBay, it's called eBay International Standard Delivery. It gets there and then they pay those customs and those fees when it arrives to their country. Right. And that's been my reservation about it is like, what if they go and, and they're like, I, I don't I don't want to pay this. Right. And then they reject it. Right. Then you're in a scenario. Now, I don't think that happens. I haven't had anybody DM us or message us saying, hey, I did stuff through eBay's international standard delivery and the person rejected the item because they didn't want to pay the customs and the fees. Now, the good thing that both programs provide Right. And this is why it's bet you're better off doing international standard delivery above just sending it yourself is that eBay has their shipping protection plan. So what it means that they guarantee delivery of every item that you send. Right. And if you remember, oh, no, we haven't shared this yet, but yeah, we did. In our previous podcast episode, uh, we had talked about the idea that eBay is now limiting. There's certain countries that bowed out or for a reason eBay couldn't provide those. So take a look at that. You don't have to go to the podcast. You can go to the seller community forum. It's under seller news about how they limited certain countries. But what it does is I'll read it real quick. It says we will protect you by removing negative and neutral feedback and defects when things happen that are outside of your control. So if it gets lost or it gets damaged in shipping. So it's kind of like eBay's global shipping in a way. This could include weather, carrier delays, or when the item arrives late, but tracking shows you shipped on time. 
right? The difference though between eBay International Standard Delivery and eBay Global Shipping, eBay Global Shipping is pretty much like 99, 99999% of the time you're protected no matter what. Like and chances are you're you're not going to get a return. Chances are the the best way for me when I send higher priced items that are larger even to do global shipping is is to send to Kentucky because once it gets to Kentucky, I don't have to worry about it anymore. But if you send through eBay standard international delivery, you're you're having to track it the whole way and it's guaranteed to be there. So there is that. But with eBay global shipping program, that's it. You're done. You send it to Kentucky. So hopefully that, that was that was that clear? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, so hey, thank you so much, Kathy, for calling in. All right, let's read this next one. It says I don't know if you have covered this or not, but what is your take on free shipping and adding the shipping cost into the price of eBay? Yes or no? Right now, I'm adding the cost uh, uh, to my items uh, for free shipping because that's what my business entails. Because I guess they're sending, uh, they said they're sending knit and crochet, which is lighter items. So that's a little easier to do free shipping with. So yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Um, there's really, no matter what, there's no such thing as free shipping. Uh, you might offer free shipping, but somebody's paying for it, right? Either the customer's paying, well, always the customer pays for it, um, or it's coming out of your net profit. Somebody's paying for it. And so it's a lot of times it's almost just like a, a psychological game that you can play. <laughs> Customers might be willing to spend $15 on something with free shipping than to spend $11 on something that has $3.99 shipping, right? If they see a shipping charge, plus you get you might get that fast and free little sticker that goes on your item because, you know, next day delivery or, um, you know, one business day for shipment and it's free. And so that might be something that, that triggers people to see that. Um, I've noticed when I did free shipping, I, I tend to get more sales that way. So yeah, I'll just add it into the price. I'll up the price a little bit. If I think it's going to be $5 to ship something, I might charge, you know, four extra dollars and just know that my net profit's going to be a little less or, uh, vice versa. But no matter what, there's times you might find something that's profitable but you look and, and you see like the cost of shipping, I'm not actually going to make money on this. And so that's always a factor when you sell something and just know that there's really no such thing as free shipping. And I think what ends up happening is you offer free shipping, but you're either charging the customer more or you're willing to take less profit. So one of those two things is happening when, when you offer free shipping, even if you charge shipping, uh, you're, they're paying the shipping and you're probably your item costs a little less or it's not going to sell if it's priced at the right place. So, um, figure it out, figure out what works best for you and your market. If everybody's offering free shipping and you're the only one that doesn't, you're probably going to have a hard time selling in that niche. If you offer free shipping and you just raise the prices a little bit, that might be all it takes to get people to say, Hey, I'm buying that. So you can try and see what works best for you. Um, do an experiment, put half your items on free shipping, uh, and raise the price, you know, that extra 10 or 20% and do the other half not free shipping and, you know, charge what it would cost to ship it and see what happens. Yeah. And the key thing is knowing what the competition is doing, right? If if you go and your niche that you're looking into, most people are doing free shipping. You don't necessarily have to charge free shipping or you can, and it makes you more competitive, right? But do the research, see what people are doing. And then that I'll actually give you the true cost of what items are selling for. I'll just throw in one more thing is once an item goes beyond first class for me, I always charge shipping and we shared that before. And if an item is more than $50, it's, I always send priority or I send FedEx or whatever with insurance, because once you hit that $50 mark, 
you want to make sure that your item is protected and eBay has it. If you send a priority, you're guaranteed up to a hundred dollars. So it's worth it. I like it. So, all right. Got another question here. What a surprise. <laughs> Hopefully you guys are, are bringing through this. I know some of this is like, I know this and, but Hey, we're all learning. Like I, I, I look at some of this and I actually had to go back and like research. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. All right. Number eight. Why do some resellers share their numbers and others don't? How do I know what I need to do to be full time? Okay, that's for me. Okay. Oh, I mean, no, I'll I get, answer. No, so I, I've shared, and we get this question a lot, and we get this question about us, like, "Hey, Orlando, why don't you share your numbers? Like, why don't you show your ninety day total? Why don't you share your Amazon thirty day and da da da?" And the number one reason why we don't is because they are not true numbers, right? I can all day. I, I've shared this before. Like, I can show a hundred k in Amazon sales, but that doesn't mean I made a hundred k. I could have made only 10, honestly, I could have made only 10K with 100K sales. Or 1K. Or 1K, yeah, I know. 1K is kind of, kind of rough, but yeah. There are there are some major resellers I know that are, they sell in the millions, but their net take home is like 1.5%. Now, for a million, that's $150,000. No, that's that's not a lot of money. Okay, so maybe it's it's a little bit more, but... What I'm what I'm trying to tell you is like that is why we don't do that because hey, there's there's no there's no purpose in me saying hey I sold all this now if I can show you hey these are items to look out for this is how to sell things this is how to scale your business that to me is way more valuable than just throwing up a chart and going like hey look look what I can do yeah and and even that goes for showing the gross number right that's the reason yeah. why we don't show gross number but even net number one of the reasons we don't do that and that kind of goes into your second question of how do I know when I can go full time is everybody's different and so somebody whose who's net is $500 a month that might be like, that's what they need. That's what they want. That's why they're doing reselling and they're not trying to go full time. And, you know, they could share that and then get blasted for it. Or you can show a ton of money and people can look at that and say like, I'm not making that. I'm, you know, I, I don't net $10,000 a month. That's insane. And I must be failing. And so just the same reason why, like, I've never gone to somebody and like pulled out my paycheck and said like, look at how much I made at my company this week or this, this month. This is the only business where people do that. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a reason for it. I mean, it's, it's, it's showing, I wouldn't say it's the only business, like any, any kind of hustle thing, people will do this. Uh, but it's, just, it's, it's strange to me. It's to kind of show like, look at how successful I am. Um, and there's reasons because would you rather listen to the person who knows what they're talking about and can prove like, Hey, look, I'm actually bringing in this much money. What I say has some validity. Or would you listen to the person who is talking? But like, if, if you were to look at their numbers, they're not actually making any money. So it can be useful to know, Hey, I'm going to buy a course. Is this person actually profitable? So it, there is times where it's useful to show that money, but just the average person, I don't know, maybe you're telling your friends like, Hey, I'm doing this and I'm actually making, you know, twice as much as I was making at my day job. And so you might share numbers for that reason. Uh, and there's been times we've shared like how much money we've made on items or in a week on, on certain things or how much we've grown. We've grown 5%. Um, but if I were to say my numbers, you might look at that and scoff and go like, that's nothing. That's pennies. But that's what it's. Hey, it's making it work for me. That's what I'm aiming for. And so then again, how much do you need? You got to figure that out. How much do you need to cover all of your expenses uh, to be saving, to be building wealth? And once you have that number, um, then you can say, am I consistently not just one month? But am I consistently making that much or more every month, month after month for a long period of time? And you can say, all right, now I have what I need to go full time and I have 
a backup plan. I've got months of reserve. So if I have to, if I don't make any sales for a month and my business burns down, I can, I can make it for the next month or two. And so that number, I, you know, nobody can give you that number. You got to figure out what are your expenses. Do you have a lot of expenses or are your expenses really low? So, and then that, that's the tough part because we're, we're in California, right? So I need a lot more than most people to go full time, but I've also reduced my costs a lot. So I don't pay the normal cost of rent that others pay, right? I don't pay the normal cost of rent for transportation because everything I need is nearby, right? So I don't spend that much in gas. There may be somebody that lives in the Midwest and they have to drive a lot, right? So that's a cost that's different than my cost, right? But your rent is going to be a lot lower or your mortgage is going to be a lot lower. So you have to ultimately decide, okay, what do I need to make it? And then what do I need to have capital and what do I need to have savings and all those things, right? Because those all play into a part. And actually we have a whole episode devoted to that episode 128. Now, yeah. the other part I wanted to share too is sometimes people don't share because it's a personal thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, they could be going through a divorce and they don't want to share numbers. They could be dealing with uh, they're in a neighborhood and they don't want people to know they're a reseller. Like imagine you lived in a neighborhood and like you're making, I don't know, let's say 500K and you kept your inventory in your house. Like I wouldn't want people to know, you know, yeah. that that could be another reason. There could be another reason that they have family members that they don't want to know. I There could be all kinds of personal reasons. Right. So. I do believe that in time you can recognize that somebody is really a reseller or are they just making money on YouTube or on Instagram? The number one way to know that is over time, are they just regurgitating the same thing or are they documenting actually what they're doing? And I'm not talking about like every once in a while, they're like, hey, I'm going to hit the thrift or every once in a while, hey, I'm going to send this Amazon shipment is are they consistently providing value and documenting their process. This is why Mike and I do so much social media because I believe it's very key that like, Hey, it's all good that you guys listen to the podcast, but if all we did is a podcast, I could make up stories all the time. I mean, I could come out with some great stories, right? And Mike, who's an English guy, could come out with some really good yeah, stories. I can embellish some amazing finds. You could, but if you follow us on Instagram, we share our stories. I mean, a lot of the stories that we share on the podcast have already been shared in a minimal way, uh, you know, with how much you can do actually on an IG story. But you guys know, hey, this actually happened. He's telling the truth. And sometimes, you know, you can find people's eBay stores like ours and you can say, hey, are they actually selling the stuff that they're talking about? And that's, that's another easy way to do it. So that is why people may share or may not share their numbers. That's good. Cool. All right. Here we, we got, go. We had an awesome last voicemail question let's hear it hey per hustle podcast this is simon psycho man from uh san francisco the rain schooner guy i saw you guys last episode it was great i love you guys i have a quick question i have a deal coming up uh 200 barbies mint from the 80s 90s and probably 70s but the deal includes a dozen alexander dolls and a dozen FNB dolls. These are also mint in boxes. And they kind of freak me out. At what point do you actually, have you ever said no to a deal when a few of the items just creep you out? I don't want to pass up the Barbies because they're, they're rare. And I know that these FNB and Alexander dolls are going to give me a 
for profit. They just freaked me out because of, you know, those movies. So at what nice. point would you guys back It'd away from this? If those dolls uh, scared the heebie-jeebies yeah. out of you. Anyway, if you can get back to me, that's okay. That'd be cool. If not, anyway, uh, once again, thanks again. You guys give me lots of great content. Content. So this deal is uh, kind of freaking me out. I don't know. I can't even talk about it because it's just thinking about those dolls. But the Barbies, the Barbies, there's money in those Barbies I want to grab. But it's a bulk deal. So that's my uh, dilemma. I hope I was able to say everything within three minutes. Once again, thanks again. You guys take care. You guys are the greatest. This is Simon, Psycho Man from uh, Psycho Man, Seismic Sales from San Francisco. Take care. Bye. That's awesome. I love that. Um, I occasionally have listened to a podcast because I'm into like Dungeons and Dragons and they had a Dungeons and Dragons podcast and they have like more of a comedy show podcast they do. And it's a, a group of brothers and their podcast is My Brother, My Brother and Me. And they have a segment that they do, I'd say like every fourth or fifth show. And it's what they do is they go online and there are people who sell haunted dolls and they they have to like put a disclaimer like this is just for entertainment purposes only when they sell those dolls. But there are people who literally sell intentionally dolls that look creepy and haunted and um, that's their thing and people buy that stuff and they make up stories about you know what spirits in this one and um and so th- that just reminded me of like okay creepy doll i've seen some creepy looking dolls and i could i can get why you would say no um i guess i'd have two questions for you on this one um is it profitable if you bought did the bulk deal and just sold the barbies and just threw those dolls away right like maybe you can do that maybe if they're selling enough profit and and it's worth it and you could just buy the bulk deal and throw the rest away, even though you're throwing money away. But if it really is keeping you up at night and you can't handle it and you're still making profit, you might as well. Um, or you might don't, say, don't put it, it in it? your room facing you. Yeah. That's probably not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Um, but the other thing too, I mean, everybody's going to have their own tolerance level. Um, certain people are comfortable selling certain things because of, you know, moral issues. They might decide that I don't want to sell another thing. So you have to decide yourself if, if, if this is really something, what's going to keep you up at night more? having the dolls in your house or in your inventory or passing up on a deal and losing the money. And only you can decide that, but I think it's a, a great story. It is. It's, it's a tough one. So uh, one time I bought a whole bunch of cosmetics from someone and then I found out that one of the cosmetics I had was made from human cells. Oof. And, uh, and Eva wouldn't let me, like I listed it and Eva kept pulling. I'm like, what's going on? And that's when I did research and yeah, I was like, Oh, this is, this is kind of yeah, not selling this. I'm not selling this. And it, you know, could I have made the profit? Yeah, I would have made a decent profit. And actually, the hard part about it was that this was going to be a replenishable that mm-hmm. I would have been able to source every month. Yeah. And it would have been good money. But I I could not do it. Like, I couldn't I couldn't handle it. I, didn't, I couldn't even donate it. I just tossed it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm done with this. But so you got to figure out what's, gonna, what's better for you. Peace of mind or the extra few dollars you're making in your pocket. But treat it like every other bulk buy. Right. How many times do you do a bulk buy and you end up buying junk? Right. Because part of the deal is like you take everything. Right. And you don't want to hurt that deal by saying, yeah, you know what? Unless, you know, I don't have to pick this up. I'm not willing to do it. Like this could be super profitable to you. Yeah. Or split the deal with somebody. If you if you know somebody, because, again, if it's not like a moral issue, because like, for instance, for me, even you mentioned that with like the the cream or the the medical or whatever it was. For me, um, there's I, I buy sometimes like lots of certain books like manga or, or comic books and I make some pretty decent money on those sometimes. And occasionally there's like a set and I like just see the titles and I start looking through it. And I'm like, 
I don't feel comfortable selling this. I don't even feel comfortable that this thing exists. Like this is really bizarre. Uh, and there's times where it's like, I, I bought this in a bulk buy with stuff. And so those ones just go in the trash because I don't, I, I would hate for some kid to get this book, right? That's kind of the way I think about it. And so, yeah, if it's something that where you're like this thing, these, these dolls shouldn't even exist. You feel that like uncomfortable with it. But if it's just like, I just don't want them in my house then maybe you can find a friend or another reseller, reach out on Instagram and say, hey, I have this, this buy opportunity. I want the Barbies. Will somebody split the cost? Here's what's the, what's in the manifest. Here are the items you can get. And you can get the whatever the F&B dolls and the, whatever the other dolls were. You can get these and then you can split the cost. That way you're not actually throwing it away. And somebody else who does feel comfortable with the dolls in their house can sell them. Yeah, I mean, but it, I, I think it's a great question because it, if you're looking at bulk buys, this is part of bulk buys. This is, you know, people that buy storage unit. This is what they deal with. People that end up buying, you know, liquidation from a, an estate and they have to buy everything in the house. It's, it's part of the scenario. So great question. Really appreciate that because, you know, it made me think about all the bulk buys where sometimes some stuff I was like, I don't even want to deal with this. And I tossed it. Other times I donated it. Other times. I flipped it for a quick buck and I took a little bit less, but it covered a lot of the cost of the poke buy. And then other times I, I began to research and began to, you know, contemplate like, why, why am I struggling with this? You know what? I should be okay with this. And I'd flip it. Right. So there's different options for you. So I appreciate that question, Simon. Yeah, that was great. That's awesome. Hey, so thank you to everyone that tuned in. Thank you to all of you that called or answer the question box in our ig story or hit yeah. us up in the dms really appreciate the questions keeps us on our toes hopefully we answered these well and if we didn't there's a comment section below appreciate love everybody there hopefully you guys are having a great week of reselling with that being said make sure to be real be relevant and be reselling peace, peace.